let me add my welcome to uh, Akenas. And particularly if this is your first time coming off the back of Holiday Club, um, really glad you enjoyed that week and uh, brilliant that you can uh, be with us here today as well. Uh, now what we do on every Sunday morning is we have God's Word read and then I spend a bit of time explaining it to us because we uh, truly believe that as we hear God's Word written such a long time ago, yet we still hear God speaking today. And so I'm also going to pray and just ask for his help as we do that. Father, thank you so much for your word to us. Thank you for these incredible events that we read of, of how you've acted in the past. Yet, Father, please show us what you are still like today. And more importantly, please would you help us also to then respond as we should. In Jesus' name, amen. I've got to the age where I can no longer eat like I used to. Very sadly, I know now that if I have a, too much as an evening meal, I then can't get to sleep. And I was lying in bed just feeling... Bleh. I know it. Does that stop me when we've got our favourite dinner? No chance. Sadly, what we know doesn't always affect what we do. Uh, we all know that. You, you'll have your different things. You know, If I press the snooze button, I know I'm going to be late. Yeah, I'll do it anyway. You know, if I don't stretch after going for that jog, I'm going to feel really stiff the next day. All these kind of things. Well, with those little things, well, it's not the end of the world, right? But today in the reading that we've just had, sometimes it is, as we will see. Chapter 5, as it kind of explains, it starts with a very abrupt change. We've had King Nebuchadnezzar up until now. He's been the Babylonian king. And then with kind of almost no words, here in verse 1 we find Belshazzar. He is now king. He is now the ruler of um, the, the, all the people, like the known, most of the known worlds by then. Now, for a long time, historians had a real problem with this, um, with chapter, Daniel chapter 5, because in, outside of the Bible, there were no records of this King Belshazzar. And so for a good long time, people, it was great for people to criticize the Bible, so it's full of mistakes and what have you. Um, but in 1854, there was a, an expedition, and um, where's my next slide? Uh, and this um, c- cylinder, it's not, it'll come in a second, there's a cylinder was found, and it's called the Nabonidus Cylinder. Uh, and in it, um, a King Nebuchadnezzar recorded some history. And, and so between, there we go, so, and a copy of this is in the British Museum. You can go and see it. Um, the, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar died, and then over the next 30 years, there were these four rulers. And the historians from outside the Bible know that King Nebuchadnezzar was the king when the Babylonian Empire ended. But what this scholar explained, and indeed proved, well, the Bible is right and, and is proved by this, was the fact that he basically went off on a bit of a jolly. Um, he didn't kind of fancy really being the king, and so he installed his son, Belshazzar, as co-regents. And so here, Belshazzar is, in all intents and purposes, the king of the Babylonian Empire, mighty, powerful, of the superpower of its day. And yet you can see from your talk notes, if you've got them uh, there, I've described him as a clown of a king. He's, he's foolish. And in fact, Daniel makes fun of him. I don't know if you spotted that um, as we read. I'm sure we will as we go through. But he is a clown of a king. And, and we're just going to see a couple of things as we go through this passage again of what he was like. Firstly, outrageous arrogance. 
Now, again, history tells us that at the time of this event, there, the, there was a huge army outside of Babylon. The, the army of the Medes and the Persians were outside. And yet Babylon was incredibly well fortified. Now, whether Belshazzar out of false confidence or whether it is like, you know what, I'm going to go out in a blaze of debauchery, he holds this massive party. So verse 1, King Belshazzar made a great feast for thousands of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousands. All of the movers and shakers of Babylon, they gather here for this, this big old knees up, the wine is flowing. And while the good times are having, Belshazzar has this brainwave. Um, if you hear for the whole series, right back in chapter 1, verse 2, we saw that, he, that um, Nebuchadnezzar, when he defeated Jerusalem, ransacked the temple, took some of the, the items that were used for the worshipping the gods, and he took them away and put them in the temple to his own gods. And Belshazzar has this brainwave. He's like, go get those cups, bring them out, and we are going to drink from those cups. It is sacrilege. Nebuchadnezzar, okay, he took them as a sign of triumph. Ha ha, we've beaten you. But to then come and use them like this is a whole other level. It is the ultimate insult. It is shocking insolence. But it gets worse. Not, not, they're not just drinking wine for them. Verse 4, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. So they used these vessels that were used in the worship of God, the living God, and used them to worship gods made out of metal. Dead, false, nothing gods. It's stupidity. It's, it's an insult and it's a challenge indeed to God. It is a great act of pride. It is outrageous arrogance. His heart struts and he mocks God. And he's a clown of a king for such arrogance because his bravado really doesn't last long. So verse 5, immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand so everyone could see it. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. And then verse 6, we're meant to find this comical. It's a kind of cartoon picture of a person. So verse 6, then the king's colour changed. You know, to go deathly pale. And his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. So, yeah, so first his colour changes, maybe he's just going to yeah, get really pale. And then his, um, that, that, that little phrase, uh, that his limbs gave way, literally, is the knots of his loins were untied. He had an accident. And then his knees are knocking. It's a comical picture of this outrageous arrogance of this brown king is reduced to this in just a minute didn't take much to knock him off his high horse. He's a clown of a king. But anyway, he, he offers great riches and rewards to anyone who can read the writing on the wall and tell him what it means. Not for the first time, we find the religious advisers uh, are utterly clueless and powerless. They, they can't uh, advise him at all. And so Belshazzar is even more worried. Verse 9, then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. Well, he was alarmed, now he's greatly alarmed. And his colour changed again. I don't know, what, does he go green this time? 
and his lords were perplexed. He's a clown of a king. And such a commotion is caused here that and the queen, well, it says the queen there, almost certainly like the queen mother. The queen mother, who's probably tucked up in bed at this stage, becomes aware of what's going on. She comes down and she tells Belshazzar about this man, Daniel, who had helped Belshazzar's predecessor. It says father. It's the word could be kind of predecessor. Because um, so, Nebuchadnezzar was like four kings ago. Uh, and he t- Anyway, the queen mother tells Belshazzar about Daniel, who helped Nebuchadnezzar with situations like this. And she gives Daniel a huge build-up. Um, so just from verse 11, there is a man in your kingdom in, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because of an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, to explain riddles, to solve problems. That's literally to untie knots. Kind of same word as what happened to him. Uh, untie knots, solve problems, were found in Daniel in whom the king named Belteshazzar. That's a bit confusing there, but Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will show you the interpretation. But despite this impeccable CV that the Queen Mother presents to Belshazzar, he can't contain his arrogance. You can hear the sneer in his voice in verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king answered and said to Daniel, You're that Daniel. One of those exiles of Judah? Remember that beaten, destroyed people? You're one of them, right? I have heard, not you did, I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. And then skipping down to verse 16, but I have heard, there it is again, I have heard that you can, can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, then you'll be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Third ruler, because, again, this makes sense of the king situation. There's Nabonidus, the king. Belshazzar, he's the kind of co-regent. Well, what's next best? Third in the kingdom. He's a clown of a king. Outrageous arrogance. He has no idea what this message means. He knows its importance. He is utterly powerless. He is powerless. All his religious advisors are powerless. The Queen Mother says, here is one who can tell you what it means. And he can only mock and try and humiliate Daniel. Well, Daniel tells him he can keep his gifts. But he will read and give the interpretation. And here we move on to indefensible prides. Daniel says, I, will, I don't want your, your gifts, but I will tell you what it means. But we're kept in suspense. He doesn't just explain it straight away. Rather, he gives Belshazzar a history lesson. In case you weren't here last week, I'm going to read it, and it's a good recap for us who were, because he, he tells us what we saw in Daniel chapter 4. So let me read from verse 18. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, He was brought down from his kingly throne 
and his glory was taken from him. How did that happen? Well, verse 21, he was driven from among the children of mankind, people, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. Nebuchadnezzar, great and powerful and majestic king, twice we're told God gave him those things, but he didn't recognize that. No, his heart was lifted up against God. He dealt proudly. And so God brought him down, and in quite some fashion. Until, until verse 21, that key phrase, again, if you were here last week, you saw it, we saw it multiple times then. Until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sits over it, whom he will. But here's the shocking thing for Belshazzar. Here's the shocking thing, verse 22. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. Though you knew all this. For you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. You see, Daniel wasn't just giving him a history lesson. He was reminding him of what he already knew. You know, the, the king losing his mind, going to live with the donkeys, eating grass. That's not something that's easily forgotten. You knew all this, but your heart struts, and you've challenged the lords of heaven. This is indefensible pride. He had absolutely no excuse for how he was living. You know, ignorance isn't an excuse, okay? So if you're driving 40 miles an hour uh, one day and you get pulled over the police and they said you were driving 40 miles an hour in a 30-mile zone, you say, oh, sorry, I didn't know it was 30 miles an hour. That's, not, that's no excuse. That's not defense. Well, Belshazzar didn't even have that non-excuse as an excuse. He knew what he was doing, but he wasn't, it, that didn't affect how he was living. And Daniel, in verse 23, he, he repeats to Belshazzar his folly. Um, picking up towards the end of verse 20, uh, in the middle of verse 23, and you, let you praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see, hear or know, but the gods in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honoured. This is indefensible pride. Nebuchadnezzar needed to learn that lesson. And he did. And he humbled himself. Do you remember chapter 4 ended with Nebuchadnezzar writing a letter to all of his subjects, saying that, yes, he was the king, but there was a, the, a king of heaven who was over him. He recognized that the Most High is the one over the kingdoms of men and gives it to every will. And in some sense, it comes into to some form of relationship with God. Nebuchadnezzar knew all this and, and or learnt this and changed. Belshazzar knew this and hasn't. He's a clown of a king. It's under indefensible pride. And finally, uh, the third thing we see of Belshazzar is imminent judgment. 
So finally, Daniel does now read and explain um, the, uh, the writing. I've got a picture up here um, for us. So verse 20, uh, 24. 24. Then from his presence the hand was sent... Uh, sorry, then from his presence the hand was sent, and the writing was inscribed. Verse 25, and this was the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, and parzin. Uh, you can see from your, um, your kind of footnotes there, um, these were kind of weights, weights of measurement. So if you like it, and if we're kind of old school, stone, pounds, and ounces. That's kind of what, what he's saying here. But those words all sound like other Aramaic, um, other words, and so Daniel gives the meaning here in verse 26. This is the interpretation of the, ma- the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and have been found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. He says, look, your days are numbered. He says, you're a lightweight... He says, you're broken. That's God's message to him. You and indeed your kingdom is going to come to an end. And he's a clown of a king. Right to the end, verse 29. Um, there he, um, it's pitiful really. Uh, then Belshazzar gave the command, this is his last command, and Daniel was clothed in purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. That order that lasted for, what, two hours? His last command is to honour Daniel, not God, and so this meaningless thing. Verse 30, that very night, uh, Belshazzar, the the Chaldean king, was killed. Um, Sorry, so the kind of balances that he was weighed... Now, again, other sources tell us um, or suggest how, the, how this happens. It's quite a, quite a fascinating story. Um, the, the Medes and the Persians, they drained off part of the river that ran through the city. They diverted some of it to bring the water level down so that um, soldiers could wade through. And so the soldiers wade, um, kind of w- walked through the water into the city and came out and he was killed. So history says. But just like that... The Most High God, who rules the kingdom of mankind, removes Belshazzar and puts in a new king of a new kingdom. The clan of the king is no more. His strutting heart stopped. But what are we to, to make of this? Again, we've got two implications or applications for us, two things I want to, to draw out. And you'll notice they're very similar to last week. Uh, and again, that is deliberate. Um, we're meant to, the, chapters four and five really co- come hand in hand together. We're, we're going to look at the two just the other way around that I put on your sheet there. So firstly, it's a warning for the proud. We are meant to be seeing here the differences between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Two proud kings. One learns his lesson, humbles himself before God, and holds God in his rightful place and is restored. The other is steadfast in his arrogance and is judged. This is a warning for us, for the proud. 
Uh, and that, whether it is world leaders or whether it is ideologies or political systems or philosophies, things that set themselves up against God are destined to fail. years ago um, it was quite a, while, quite a few years ago now actually but you might have kind of seen one of these, these buses um, driving around London um, the kind of atheists uh, put this up and said saying there's probably no gods now stop worrying and enjoy your life outrageous arrogance and heading for uh, for judgment indeed anyone who sets himself up against God is heading that way too. If I can give you a very strange little illustration here, but I, I have a little Lego man, and you see it. Um, and this is well, it's not actually my Lego man. We're not quite at Lego stage. This is a Biri Lego man. But anyway, it's my Lego man, okay? I bought this Lego man, uh, and I've owned it, I've built it, and I've, I play with him. It's my Lego man. And here he is, sat in, in my hand, the, the, his owner, uh, his owner, and the one he plays with him, the one he belongs to. And you kind of imagine this little Lego man saying, actually, one day, you know what? No, you're not. You don't own me. I'm free. In fact, not only do you not own me and I'm not yours, in fact, you belong to me. I'm the boss here. I'm the king here. Go on, let's have a challenge. Let's see who would win. Come on. <laughs> He's sat here in my hand. He's nothing. And what do we see um, back in verse, uh, let me find it, 23. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honoured. That's, that's the picture of what's going on here. Here's Belshazzar in God's hand strutting his stuff saying, I'm the boss here, not you. Ridiculous. And indeed, whose hand is the breath of life can just. like that. And that's what happens for Belshazzar. Now, for Belshazzar, that happens immediately, straight away. For some people in this world today, occasionally, there will be immediate. God will immediately act. By and large, he doesn't. He laughs and he waits his time. But there is this judgment coming. So if we come to uh, these words here in Acts um, chapter 17, Paul is preaching um, to a big crowd. And he um, just spot the kind of similarities in the language that are used here um, in Daniel. I just want to look at that. Um, being then, uh, this is what he says to them, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by uh, the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You see, there is this day when every single person will stand before the Lord Jesus and be judged. 
And the picture again of, of Daniel 5 is this kind of uh, picture of scales. And we're all going to have our time on the scales. But the thing is, like Belshazzar, we're all going to be found wanting. We're all going to be coming up light. In fact, as we step on that, that kind of the side of the, the, the weights, actually nothing happens. It doesn't go down as it should. But that is why Jesus came for the first time. That's going to happen when Jesus comes again, but that's why Jesus came for the first time. Because we have failed to honour God as we should. And he came to die for those times when we haven't honoured him as we should. But, but Jesus dying on the cross was is a swap. We, we, sometimes when we're familiar with that idea, okay, Jesus dying to take away the, or to pay for the, the sin, the wrongdoing I've done. But it, it's also a swap. Jesus gives us something. You see, Jesus lived his life perfectly. He honoured God in everything, in every way. And that is called righteousness. And that righteousness is given to his people. So that when we step onto the scales, as it were, it does go dump, going down. Not our own righteousness, but Jesus is, if we are trusting in him and repenting of our pride. The first implication for us is, is heed that warning. Heed that warning. And particularly, I guess, a challenge for us if we're regular churchgoers here who perhaps know quite a lot but does what we know impacts how we live? It's so easy to come, to hear, to listen, to think, oh yeah, I, I kind of got it all. But for the heart to remain proud against God and in rebellion against him. Let what we know take impact in our lives. Secondly, uh, the second implication for us is it's comfort for God's people. Uh, so have a look at just right, right down at the end at verse 31. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So here's the kingdom passing from one kingdom to another, just like in that dream of chapter 2. We're, we're now on to the next kingdom. Uh, and this change in kingdom, kingdom led, to, led to a change in policy, foreign policy. And so these exiles, God's people in Babylon, with this changing of a king, were soon to be returning home to Jerusalem. See, again, just like that, the prospects for God's people changed. And again, what a comfort for God's people right across our world, some who are suffering hugely, and like God's people were there, for being God's people to know that actually against these, these hostile leaders or um, systems or whatever it might be, to know just like that, God can change it along. And that same verse, in verse 23, that um, the God in whose hand is our breath, uh, just as it's a warning, is also actually a, a, a great comfort. I've got three more little Lego men. But, but these Lego people have all humbled themselves. They all are believing in Jesus and submitting to him as king. And actually, what a great place that is to be as one of God's people. Where better could we be than in God's hands? Let's pray. O most high Lord of heaven, Father, please would you increasingly show us and give us a better view of you and your greatness and your majesty. And as we see that greatness, please would you humble us before you. 
Thank you so much that in Jesus you have done everything necessary for us to be safe from that judgment and have a relationship and life with you. Please would we be clinging to him. In Jesus' name, amen.